recently I heard a sermon online by another brother from another state. And in that sermon, he told a story that I thought could bear repeating. And so I called him up, talked to him personally, thanked him for the sermon. I said, would you mind if I'd share that story with the congregation? And he gave me permission to do that. The story is a true story. It's a sad story. And although this story is about a husband and wife, my focus this morning is not about marriage. I'd like to use this story as a parallel or a springboard as we think about the Christian life. So please understand the parallel this morning. I won't be able to give it verbatim, but this is the gist of the story. Jim and Lucy were a young man and a young woman who loved each other very much. In the course of time, they dated and they were married. And in the beginning, there was love and there was excitement in their marriage. They had many of the same goals and aspirations for the future. Jim had a job and they had a house. They started a family together. And they experienced life like you and I do, the ups and downs, the, the good and the bad, just like you and I do. But over time, the stresses of life began to take their toll. The thrill for life and the thrill in their marriage began to fade. Jim became preoccupied with his own interests and they began to withdraw from one another. Jim gained 100 pounds and there was less communication, there was less dialogue between the two. Lucy got a job at a local Christian high school or school to help with the finances. And obviously in this story, you can see the incremental changes that are taking place. And Lucy began to confide in another coworker who happened to be a married man. And you know the rest of the story. The brother that told this story, he asked a very appropriate question. He said, where or when did this marriage go off the rails? My goal in telling you this story is not to unsettle anyone in your marriage. We're not talking about marriage this morning. But my burden this morning is that each of us would be faithful in our Christian life until the very end. Satan desires to distract us from our relationship with Jesus Christ. Satan wants to divert our attention from God and his kingdom with the pleasures of sin that last but for a short season. The title of the message this morning is Faithful Unto the End. For a text, I would invite you to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8, read this way. For I am now ready, Paul says, to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul realized that his earthly sojourn was coming to an end. It was nearing completion, and the time of his departure was at hand. Could you and I say with the Apostle Paul, as he says here in verse 6, 
for I am now ready to be offered. Maybe you think you have a lot of time till the end, till the end of life, till death. But you don't know. I don't know. Paul said, for I am now ready to be offered. What was Paul's call? What was his work in life? Acts chapter 9 verses 15 and 16 talks about Paul's work, what God had for him to do. Acts chapter 9 verses 15 and 16, but the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he, or he, Paul, is a chosen vessel unto me, for what purpose? To bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul's work was to bear Christ's name before the Gentiles and the children of Israel. Paul had a work to do. You know, what a blessing, as we think here in these text verses, what a blessing to come to the end of the journey and realize that you have been faithful to your commanding officer, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has a work for you to do. Are you being faithful to what he has called you to? Am I being faithful? And what a blessing to be able to come to the end of life like Paul said. He said, I'm ready to be offered. He said in verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. What a blessing. And notice in verse 8, it says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And I ask you, when is it that we receive that crown of righteousness? The crown of righteousness does not come at conversion. When we become converted, that's not when we receive the crown, nor does it come in the middle of the journey, at the middle of our work. But the crown of righteousness is reserved for the faithfulness at the end of the journey. And Paul was nearing completion of his journey, and he was faithful. But I ask you, when is the end of the journey? I would submit to you that the end of the journey is a time of God's own choosing. It was very vividly uh, brought to Sally and I last Sunday. We were traveling to Missouri for church Sunday morning, and we got a text from Colleen. I can't give it to you verbatim, but she said something like this. Please pray for us. We are headed to Idaho. Gerald and Elisa Yoder's Schrock, thank you. Gerald and Elisa Schrock's son, 18-year-old son, Japheth, drowned uh, in the water. They were camping together as a family, and they said he was a good swimmer. The water was not that deep. They found him floating in the water. I was encouraged. They said that Japheth had a relationship with Jesus Christ, and they said he was ready to go. When is the end of the journey for Japheth? Life was finished at 18. Are you ready to be offered? First point of the message is maintaining our focus. I invite you to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The Bible reads this way. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And here's your focus. 
looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, maintaining our focus. Notice here in verse 1 that God desires that our life would be fruitful in his kingdom. And what sins is it that could hinder the multiplying of our fruit in our life? I think we all would agree that we are to be fruit-bearing. We should have fruit in our lives. But what are some things that could hinder that fruit from coming to, to completion? Matthew chapter 13 speaks, I'm sure you could go to a lot of passages, but I'd like to invite you to Matthew 13. As you're thinking about the parable of the soils and the parable of the seed, Matthew chapter 13, verse 7, I'm just going to break in here. It says, And some, some of the seed fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. What was the definition, uh, or what is the uh, outcome of that verse? Drop down to Verse, um, verse 22. He that receiveth seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he become unfruitful. So what are the cares of life that you might be facing that could keep this fruit from multiplying as it should? What about troubles and interruptions? Do you all have troubles in life? Do you have interruptions and struggles and problems and trials? I know you do. I do too. Maybe it's a blowing head gasket on your minivan. Maybe it's additional expenses that you were not expecting or an unexpected illness. You fill in the blank. But there are many cares of this life. And brothers and sisters, let's, as we go along in this sermon, let's think about the parallel of the story I told you at the beginning. Satan desires to very slowly, very incrementally pull us away from our relationship with God. Sometimes he uses the troubles and the interruptions in life to get us to divert our focus and to distract us from what is most important. Secondly, the deceitful, deceitfulness of riches. All of us know that there's a tremendous increase in inflation, right? So how much is enough? As you middle-aged men and, and younger ones, as you prepare for retirement, I don't know whether you're preparing for retirement or not, but you know with a tremendous increase in inflation, how much is enough? Maybe you should save up lots more because of inflation. Whose standard are we listening to? Whose standard are we going to to find security and fulfillment in life? Are we going to the world's standard or are we choosing God's standard? Let's be careful that the deceitfulness of riches is not something that's choking out the fruit in our life. Verse 2, there in Hebrews and I believe Satan desires, as we think about looking to Jesus, that is our focus. That should be what we should be focusing on day after day. But you and I know that Satan desires to divert our focus 
by any means he can, any means that he can accomplish that, he'll, he, he will do that. In Luke chapter 4, you can read there, I don't think I'm going to turn to it. Luke chapter 4 talks about Satan's temptation of Jesus. You know there, Satan tempted Jesus in three different ways. And I think it would refer to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And where does all that come from? 1 John chapter 2 verse 16 tells us, gives us an answer. 1 John chapter 2 verse 16 For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So we know that comes from the world standard. I'm blessed to how the Bible tells us that Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, Jesus looked beyond the cross. You know, if we see the difficulties and the struggles, if that is high as our focus we can get bogged down pretty quick. But Jesus looked beyond the cross. It was a horrible thing that he was facing, but Jesus looked beyond the cross. There was beauty. There was wonders. And I'd just like to suggest three things, and probably there's many more. Jesus was looking forward to be reunited with his Father. What a beautiful thing. He wanted... Secondly, also to receive the approval of his father. And thirdly, he was looking forward to his bride, his marriage, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I guess when we go to a wedding, what's more beautiful than a husband and a bride coming together? We were, as a, we were at a wedding yesterday. Uh, and husband, uh, men and women look forward to the day that they are united in marriage. Brothers and sisters, I believe Jesus Christ is looking forward to his marriage more than any husband is looking forward to being married to his bride. Jesus, I believe, is looking forward, desiring the time when, when the, his children come home, those that have placed their trust in him. What I'm trying to focus on this morning as you think about the story that I told you, Satan desires to distract us from our focus Little bit, little bit at a time, incrementally. And the Bible would tell us to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Don't let Satan divert your focus. Seek ye first. Also, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let that be your focus. Don't let Satan divert, distract you from what's most important. Second point of the message, being aware of Satan's tactics. I would invite you to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Are we aware of what Satan is trying to do in our lives to distract us from our focus, the most important focus? Satan will do anything he can to distract you, to sever your relationship with Jesus Christ. And this morning I'd like to tell you a story. As I thought about Jim and Lucy, I thought of another st story that would parallel 
that story. I'm not going to name the couple because some of you probably would know who I'm talking about, but there was a young couple years ago in this area who I thought were strong, they were stable, they were sound. At least from my perception, they certainly were. They were an exemplary young couple. They were very conservative. He had a place where he would go out into the woods for his devotions. And there was just a lot of things that, that I almost was, was jealous of in this, this young man. Later, this couple moved back to their home state. And we heard later that they had explained away 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the covering. And they encouraged others to drop it as well. <clears throat> many of the other convictions, many of the other convictions that they had were dropped as well. And I heard somebody else comment that they knew the couple as well. And they said it was his goal then at some point. He, was, he decided that he was not going to read his Bible for a year. That was astounding to me. It seemed this couple throw things away, and they embrace the things of the world. And I ask you, where did this relationship with Jesus Christ go off the rails? Talking about the first story, Jim and Lucy, where did their marriage go off the rails? I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about relationship with Jesus Christ. Where did this couple, who seemed so strong and so staunch and stable, where did their relationship with Jesus Christ go off the rails? You know, ever since the Garden of Eden, Satan has done his level best to distract and to separate us from the Creator. And you know, in Genesis chapter 3, when Satan brought that temptation to Eve, he said, Yea, hath God said, and, and you know the story, I'm not going to turn there this morning. All the way from Genesis chapter 3 right into the New Testament, we have these words. The disciples had come to Jesus and asked him, what is the end of the age look like? And Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of deception in our world today. What are some other distractions that might pull us away from our relationship with God? We're talking about little incremental changes that are almost imperceptible, hardly recognize them, and pulling us away from our relationship with God to where, how in the world did they get there? Let's be careful. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. It's kind of, as you read about, it talks about knowing God, knowing God, and being sure. And it seems it's almost like a parenthetical statement right at the very end of 1 John. It said, little children, keep yourselves from, from idols. But you know, as we look around, there are so many things in our world today that are idols. Now, you and I would agree, very few people, they would bow their knee to a God of wood and stone. But I ask you, are there very many idols in our world today? And I need to be careful in saying this. 
I recognize technology can be used for good. Like I said, this, the story, the sermon that I heard in preparation for this sermon, I mean, I got that online and I appreciated that, but I would still like to ask, what about cell phones? Are they an idol? I think to some people they probably are. I checked this out. How much involvement are cell phones as you think of car accidents? And I found that 23% of all accidents involve cell phones. That's 1.3 million crashes. We all know, don't we, that cell phones are illegal? Why is it that we go down the road and there's so many people on their cell phones? I'll admit that I often would talk on a cell phone. I didn't text while I drove, but I really didn't quite like the law that I couldn't talk anymore on my cell phone. You can get on me if you want to. But I recognize it's the law. If I'm driving down the road and Sally calls me, I think I should pull off and talk to her, but I shouldn't. As much as I'd like to talk to her while I'm driving, it's, it's the law. I'm not supposed to. So are we willing to do what we know is right, to follow the laws of the land? But I'm just suggesting, and there may be many others that you can think of, but I would suggest to you that there may be some people, the cell phones are an idol. Are cell phones and technology idols? I just like to ask the question, in your mind, you don't need to write it down, but compare the percentage of time that you and I are on tech devices as compared to how much time we're spending in God's Word. Would you like to know that? I don't need to know that, but there is one who does. And that's God. The Bible says that we are to redeem the time because the days are evil. Are we taking advantage of the opportunities that God has for us to seek his son in the word and to seek to minister to the needs of others. And I know I can do better. Brothers and sisters, maybe you, and I try not to be accessing inappropriate content, but what about the time factor? Third point of the message, reward for faithfulness. And I'd like to say, maybe, maybe so far at this point of the message, you think this has just been pretty negative. I would like to tell you that my heart is tremendously warmed when I see the men and the women, brothers and sisters from the Peak Congregation that are faithful, serving the Lord, making visitors feel welcome, being involved in the life of the church, warms my heart tremendously. You don't know how much it means to me and my brethren sitting here on the bench the front bench and I don't mean to be raising anybody any higher above I guess we have a, a work to do but brothers and sisters we're on your level at least I hope we are you know brothers and sisters we're living in a severe drought Sally and I was at Missouri a week ago when we got there it was so dry Hardly any rain. Uh, a good friend said that it was probably about as dry as it's been in 10 years. But, you know, 
I'm not so much talking about the physical drought. I was reminded as I thought of that was Amos. There's a verse in Amos I'd like to bring to you. Amos chapter 8 verse 11. God said, Behold the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. And I ask you, brothers and sisters, are you seeing that there's a drought, there's a famine in our world today? And we know there is. There's a tremendous. I, the change that, that I've seen in the last five years, the moral decay in our country, is unprecedented. And it bothers me. Where are we going? I just heard on the news recently, most of us are aware of the decision by the Supreme Court, Roe versus Wade. And you know, and I saw uh, in the paper a day or two ago, someone was holding up a sign, and I don't remember verbatim, but it said something like this. I am not a member of your little book club. Any of you all see that? It was a picture of a Bible. And these people are adamantly opposed to this decision by, by the courts of the land. And if I'm my understanding, Indiana also passed a law recently, and the people are up in arms. They're chanting and they're upset. Have no concern, no fear for God. We want to live our life like we want to. It's my choice whether I want to bring a baby into this world or not. It's my choice. It grieves me to think. I know there are godly people. But I hope we're feeling that we're strangers and pilgrims in this world. This world has nothing to offer us. But I hope we care for the people that are so blatantly resisting God and his word. Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Um, thinking about reward for faithfulness. We looked at Revelation already this morning some. Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 and 10. I'll close soon. Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the faith, the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them that say that they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. But be thou faithful unto death. And I will give thee a crown of life. That is reward for faithfulness. Be faithful unto death until the very end. Yes, we're going to have struggles and trials. But be thou faithful unto death and I'll give thee a crown of life. What are you going to do with your crown? I don't feel very worthy of a crown. But if I ever get one, I hope I can throw my crown at the foot of the one who's made it possible for me to be there. In conclusion, dear brothers and sisters, let's be aware of Satan's continual attacks 
to distract us and to separate us from our God. As we think of the early story of Jim and Lucy, little incremental things were happening almost imperceptibly that were pulling them away from their relationship with each other. And obviously we know Satan wants to do that very thing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Very incrementally, very slowly to move us away, to distract us from our relationship with God. Are we investing? Are we determined? Are we being intentional in seeking God and his word each day so that we're not taken away from our relationship with him? In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we know that there are seven churches that are addressed there. At the beginning of each one of those churches, it says, I know thy works. And at the end of each one of those addresses to those churches, it says, to him that overcometh. And God promises many blessings for the overcomer. And brothers and sisters, I believe the same is true here today at the Peak Church in 2022. Jesus would say to this congregation, I know thy works, not only as a collective body, but he knows your work, he knows my work. I know thy works. And I believe he probably would have some words of commendation, and he probably would have some words of condemnation to each one of us. But then I believe Jesus would conclude, Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. May God help you and I to be faithful in this sinful generation. May we be reflecting the light of Jesus Christ. Don't let Satan distract you from your relationship. Spend time in God's word. I desire to do that, and I hope you do too. That our relationship can be what it should be, and we can be fruitful in his kingdom. May God bless you to that end. Shall we have a song?